and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hello everyone and welcome back. I am so honored to bring to you this week's guest, my very own sister, Yulia Van Doren. You may know Yulia on Instagram as Goldie Rocks. She's the owner of a modern wellness crystal brand. She wrote a best-selling book called Crystals that has been awarded several awards and has been translated into multiple languages. But most of my life, I knew her as a professional opera singer. She's a Grammy-nominated international opera singer. I grew up, I have such sweet memories as a kid of getting into a car with seven of my other siblings and driving to go see her in concert in Boston and New York City and all over the U.S., all over the world. And nowadays, I don't go to her concerts as much, but... I see her books wherever I travel. So if I'm in the airport or, you know, pop into little bookstores, I was just in the, on the island of Kauai and I popped into this like tiny bookstore in this tiny town and they had her book and I was like, oh my gosh. And so it's always so fun to see that in the wild. I will say that this episode is the first episode that I've recorded in person. We were lucky enough to get together in person and we recorded this in her beautiful home in Northern California. But because we were in person, there there's some thumps or clicks sometimes throughout the audio. And I think that was just because of the microphone on the table. But I like to say that we strive for progress, not perfection on this podcast, as I'm showing up imperfectly in my own creative pursuits, as I always encourage you all to do so. So apologies in advance if that bothers you. It doesn't show up too much, but if you hear that, that's what that is. But I think the content in this is really valuable and you'll really enjoy hearing two sisters talk. Sometimes it's hard to tell who's who because our voices sound super similar, so you might hear that too. But I'm so excited for you to hear this. And so let's dive into this conversation with Julia. Hi, Yulia. Thank you so much for coming on the Creative Soul Podcast. Thanks, Leia. I'm so excited to be here. This is so special <laughs> because I'm recording a podcast with my sister, which just feels like, oh my gosh. The first question that I ask everyone when they come on is, what is currently fueling your creative soul? Mm, okay. I would say right now, what's fueling me is decisions. Mm. I like to spend a lot of time swimming in creative possibility and thinking and dreaming and researching. That's totally my my happy space. But I'm in a moment where I need to make a lot of decisions. Yeah. And a friend recently described to me the creative process is sort of like a river going through two canyons, but unless you have walls, it's not going to be a river. There's not going to be direction. It's just going to be kind of like a floodplain. Ooh. And so decisions or creative constraints or whatever you want to call it, there's a lot of ways you can put like guideposts on your creative process so for me right now it's decisions oh so how are you finding I really like that metaphor but how are you finding that you like need again those constraints because I always think that too it's like you need containers in order to in order to have creativity flourish because otherwise it's just so open-ended that you get lost and it's like Mm -hmm. you're kind of paralyzed because there's so much you could do totally so how do you do that for the paradox of choice well I think I mean For me, part of it boils down to the fact that I do make money with my creativity. Mm. And so I do find that, you know, needing to make money is always a pretty useful constraint, creative constraint, because then it Mm. does actually like, you know, force you to move forward with something or it is, you know, it's a deadline or it's a Mm. choice. So for me right now in the very immediate is I'm creating a website. And so there's just a lot of decisions there to be made. Okay, interesting. So I want to talk about, well, first of all, can you give us a little overview about what you do? So you said you're creating a website, but what, because you've been a professional as long as I've known you, which has been my whole life, but can you talk about what you do and what you're doing now? Yeah. So I, your oldest sister. Yes. (laughs) We're 12 years apart. Yeah. We're 12 years apart. Which is interesting too, to think about like 
how different it is that we've grown up because when you you were telling me that you listened to my intro episode mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, I wish that all of our siblings did a podcast intro mm-hmm. episode because it's interesting to hear like what you thought was important to say or like what your story is. So can you give me your <laughs> abridged story? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I find it so, so fascinating to hear exactly like how people choose, you know, people's experience and how they describe themselves. And I love that even though we're sisters and we actually have a lot of similarities in what we're drawn to. Still, it's like our experiences are so different. So yeah, I'm your oldest sister and I I do two things right now. I have two creative lives. So the first part of my life, I am focused on becoming an opera singer. So I started out, as you know from listening to Leia's podcast, our family is very into music and acting and creativity. And so I pursued that. I pursued that in classical music. I was gonna go into musical theater, but I ended up turning down my acceptance into a musical theater program, and I focused on classical singing. Which was where? Boston Conservatory. Which is so cool, because <laughs> that would be, that used to be my dream school, but I never even auditioned. But, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I, I was like all set to go, and then I ended up taking a year between essentially finishing high school. I was homeschooled the whole way through, mm. and so I finished high school kind of pretty early, but the traditional time to go to college, I ended up taking a year off and instead going to live in Israel for a couple months as a volunteer and just like, it was my first time traveling abroad. It was my first time interacting with people that weren't just like in the music and the theater world. And Mm. it was completely eye-opening because it was just, just interacting with people that were not in the performing arts was very, it was sort of life-changing. And so I decided to take a year off to kind of reevaluate and Mm. For a long time, I called it my lost year. I actually had a lot of like, I had a lot of shame, I think, around the fact that I had that kind of almost like a gap year. It felt yeah. like, you know, especially because in the performing arts, there's such an emphasis on youth and on age. Mm-hmm. And so, but I worked as a bartender that year. I went to community college and yeah. So basically what I ended up doing was really clarifying during that year that out of my three skill sets, which, you know, if you go to school for musical theater, you're studying acting, dance, and singing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I clarified that for me, the thing which I felt had the most direct impact on people was singing. That mm-hmm. when I sang for people, it was it, it was the most transformative. You know, my dancing, mm-hmm. my acting, it wasn't as clear the impact I had. So I decided to go to school for classical singing, even though I did not want to become an opera singer in any way. Oh, wow. I never, like, loved opera. And, I mean, I loved the music, but I'd, like, found a lot of it very just old-fashioned and, like, boring in some ways. And so I ended up going to New England Conservatory for classical singing. And again, when I was there, I actually took a semester off. I think it was my sophomore year because I got there and I was, you know, it's a very competitive program. It's a small program. I was surrounded by, I think my class was 20 singers. And, you know, we were all striving stars, like aspiring stars. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I just felt, I just felt different. <laughs> I know everyone feels different, but I felt, I felt kind of out of place and I, I think mostly because my goal was, like, not just to be an opera singer, right? Mm. And so I took a semester off again to kind of reevaluate things. I ended up not finishing my degree for my undergrad because I got recruited to for a grad program. I wasn't planning to go to grad school, but I got recruited to go into this new grad program that was started at a place called Bard College. It was mm. They were opening a conservatory, and there was a really unique program starting up, which had a focus on not traditional opera. It was art song and new music, and it was just really, really exciting. So I went there, and I did get a degree from there. That was my first that was actually my first degree because I didn't get a high school degree because I was homeschooled, yeah. no undergrad, and then I do have a master's. Wait, so what did you... Okay, I want to come back to that, but one, I think it's interesting that you say your first time like outside of the artistic music world mm. was... <laughs> I opened it. Grad- well, no, the fact that it only it happened when you graduated, I guess, high school, but the fact that you had not had that experience, mm. I think speaks to the unique way in which you grew up and a little bit... I, I relate to that. I had a different experience growing up because I did go to public school and, like, was surrounded by people that weren't so much in the arts. But the fact that, like, your whole life was the arts. So it's, like, 
leaving our house was like, oh, not everyone is into this stuff. And like, <laughs> that must have been strange. But yeah. I also don't know this about like, how did you start singing? And like, did mom teach you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, my, our mom was my piano and voice teacher till I went to college. Mm. And, and piano was my primary instrument. So I was a really serious pianist until I was about like 15 and I just hated practicing and the cool thing about singing is like you actually cannot practice that much because your voice tires out <laughs> so it's like piano you have to be practicing hours and hours and hours a day and singing you don't so I'd always loved singing and it's always something I did but my study of that was a lot less formal which does make sense like when you're young you know when you have a younger voice taking voice lessons I always tell people like yeah take piano lessons learn an instrument like learn music but voice lessons is something you just kind of have to wait for your voice to develop mm. to go into so definitely like when you're a teenager is a good time to start but yeah singing was just always it was just like something I did it was just so natural and I think because I am the oldest of our family and mom was a singer you know like mom and she was a singing teacher like it was just natural that that's mm. what I did it wasn't this extra thing it was just part of life but you wouldn't say that it was like your passion no, I wanted to be, I wanted, I really wanted to be an actress. Mm. Like I really was like, oh, I'm going to be a movie actress for a couple of years there as I was a teenager. But you have to understand that like I finished high school when I was 15 and mm. I started working full time at this professional theater near our house. And so I was in a group of like my peers were people who were working professional actors. They'd yeah. come, you know, they'd come for the summer season. They were post-college and so I was, like, super in that acting world. Mm. And so that was my world. Those were my peers. Like, that's what I wanted to do. And I think what happened when I say, like, I went to Israel and I was around, the, I what was different is, like, the performing world has so many pluses, but it also has, it, it's also complicated. It's really complicated when your art, when your expression is literally your body. Mm. Like when you're an actor, when you're a singer, when you're a dancer, your way of sharing with the world and also your way of people giving value to you is literally your body. Mm. There are some other professions that do this, like athletes or like sex workers. But, you know, there's something so incredibly vulnerable about that and so incredibly exposed that it, it it's complicated. And yeah. I think that's why... You know, performers often have a reputation for being like a little Nazi or a little like extra. Usually if you really boil all that down too, it's really a ton of insecurity. Mm. And if you boil insecurity down, that's fear. Because mm. we all have a fear that we're not enough, that there's not going to be enough. And so when I experienced people who are not in the performing arts world exclusively, so they were not getting their value purely on like their their body, their voice, their skill. It was just, they seemed so much more kind of grounded. Mm. And it was incredibly nourishing to be around that. Oh, that's super interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Just the way you phrased that was really beautiful. <laughs> okay, so moving on. So you go to school for opera singing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You go to this grad school for opera singing. And then what did your career look like as you were kind of taking off? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my trajectory was basically, while I was still an undergrad, my career started to take off, which is unusual in opera. Mm. It's unusual in classical singing. And they're... Are, yeah, and so already, like, before I graduated, I was working professionally. Mm. And then in grad school, I already had to miss about half of grad school because I was off touring and performing. And so I basically got started super fast. Mm. And honestly, one of the reasons for that, talk, going back to that creative constraint idea that yeah. we started with, those walls of the canyon, my creative constraint was that I was completely self-supported. So mm. I had to make money. And so when I got to college, I was, you know, already had had a few years of, of being self-supported and I really had to hit the ground running with, with making money. Mm. And so I had to seek out and say yes to like everything, every strange recording, every church gig, every anything. It was like, but what happened is it meant that I didn't really have a social life, to be mm. honest. Like I did not have 
I mean, already if you go to a music conservatory, you're not having a normal college experience. <laughs> right. But like even within that, like I, you know, I didn't, we grew up without a television. So there, I didn't watch television. I didn't watch movies. I didn't go out. Like I worked and I studied. And so I didn't have a great social life, but it meant that I learned a ton and I learned how to be a professional really mm. fast. And so I think when I got out of, when, so I was already like used to working as a professional and kind of showing up in that context and also like, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, that, so for me, I remember early on people were like, how, how did you start working? How did you start working so fast? And I was like, you know, cause I really went out there and like, I, I did everything. Mm-hmm. I looked for everything and yeah. So, and you know, and also obviously I have natural talent. Like I don't want to take away from that. I had great training, but, but there is, I, I do think there's a period of time when you're starting something where just really, really diving into it a hundred percent. And so when you're working professionally, like, do you feel creatively fulfilled during that? Or do you feel like your artistic soul is being nourished or to you, is it just another job, another gig? <laughs> well, so what happened really quickly for me, because like I said, I, I got these opportunities really fast to, to start checking off a lot of the items on my checklist of places to perform, people to perform with. And like your uh, list of success. Yeah. Like, what does it mean to be yeah, successful? Yeah, like, you know, performing at Carnegie Hall, Grammy nominated, like performing with my idols, all that. Like that started to happen really fast. And what I really started to realize super quickly was that I was unhappier and unhappier. Mm-hmm. And what I started to realize was that the reason I'd gone into singing, and I have this very clear memory of being, I don't know, like maybe 14, and our mother ran a music studio, so she would put on these performances um, for her studio to perform. And I remember singing at one of them and this woman coming to me afterwards and being very emotionally overwhelmed because of the singing and just saying how it was very healing and transformative for her. And that that stuck with me so much. And And then when I got to college, I was doing smaller performances, right? Like I was, I was uh, new. And so I was doing a lot of what's called chamber music, which mm-hmm. is when you perform with just a few people on stage. And I was performing in churches and smaller concert halls. So the audience was right there. And so I was getting that, I was like in that magical feedback loop mm-hmm. that you get when you're a performer. And then what happened is, is because of the success, technically, the audiences got big the halls got big so I was stepping on stage Mm. and there were 3,000 people in front of me like a sea of 3,000 faces and then there was a giant orchestra and and, you know there are hundreds of people behind and in front of me and I felt completely alone Mm. and I felt like there was no connection and so it started to feel incredibly lonely and incredibly disconnected Mm. and also that fantastic juiciness of the creative process that you get when you're in school, for instance, or when you're making projects, you know, of the collaboration and all that. Like, again, when you get to a certain level, and again, I was a soloist, so it's different. You know, if I'd been in a group or like a a touring company or a company for opera singers, it's different. Unless you're in a chorus, you're a sort of solo agent. You're an independent contractor who just gets hired by places to come in and and be their soloist. And so I wasn't getting any of that like collaborative juice. Mm. It was just prepare my part at home, fly somewhere, walk on stage, kind of wave to people and then do my part and then go back to the hotel room, be super nervous, (laughs) be super stressed, do a couple performances, be in my hotel room all day by myself because you can't mess up your voice, you can't get sick, you can't over talk and then go home. And then the only creative feedback you get is a review. Mm. which it's like, if it's good, you feel great. But I mean, it's not always good. And it's just, it just, it was so lonely and so isolating. Well, I feel like no, A, nobody talks about that and B, nobody would ever think about that as like being a soloist. Or yeah, I don't know anyone else who has that profession, (laughs) honestly. But that's super interesting. Just Right, the idea of like it's just you, and yeah. I wonder if I don't know, maybe celebrities feel that way. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure they do because I yeah. feel like they have this feeling like everybody knows them, but yeah. they're actually you know everyone's just looking at them. And again, I mean, I'm not a celebrity by any means, but yeah, the loneliness aspect. I remember always thinking, wow, like I know, 
you know, when you're in school, people are trying to prep you for the career. I was like, nobody talked about how lonely it is. Yeah. It's totally going to make me cry. Mm, and cry. Yeah. <laughs> we're very emotional, emotional people. We're an emotional family. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because you're either home in your own home practicing mm. and prep preparing. Yeah. So you're alone or you're in a practice room or you're in a hotel room or you're in an airplane or you're like, that's it. And again, if you're, I should just point out that my focus as an opera singer was on or is on concert music, which means I don't do as much opera. That's by choice. So I don't do big productions mm. um, with costumes and, and sets and all that. I mostly perform as a soloist with an orchestra. Mm. And that's by choice. If I was focused on pure opera, then I would be in a place for like six weeks at a time, right. forming more of a family. With a cast. Yeah, yeah. with a cast. And I, I don't do that as much. It's just not so much of a love for me. Mostly because I love that direct communication with an audience. Mm. And when you have the costumes and the sets and the character, they can be walls, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Wow. So then talk about, because you've transitioned into a parallel career. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You've transitioned, <laughs> you've transitioned into a parallel career. And so we talk about what that is and tell our listeners what you do now <laughs> and kind of this new path that maybe your life is taking. Yeah, sure. Okay, so a couple years ago, I was... As you can probably tell, super burnt out, feeling a lack of connection, a lack of creative juice. And I also needed to make more money because mm. the truth is, is classical music, it's a tough racket to make a living in, especially if you're not, you know, teaching or something. So I, I had a really crappy gig that was a very high profile thing. And it was really, it was tough. It was tough. And I came home and I was so like... I was just so sort of demoralized from it that for the first time in my life, I told myself, I give myself two weeks to be creative and just explore my creativity. Ooh, <laughs> I love this. Very on brand for this podcast. <laughs> but like, because like I said, my whole life I've been self-supported. And mm. so I had to monetize my creativity mm. from the time I was 13. So I always, for me, creativity and money-making which, you know, if you boil that down, is kind of like safety and security. They were always so linked. Mm. And that's complicated. So so without going into that too much, because it's a giant subject, which is super, super important. But I was like, I give myself two weeks just to explore. I don't have to think about making money on this. And what I ended up doing was taking pictures of crystals on my deck. Wow. <laughs> and I'd always been into crystals. I'd always been into metaphysics. But I, I, I just sort of started to play around with photography. I didn't know anything. I just had an iPhone. And I, very long story short, realized like I love taking these beautiful photos of crystals. And I started to get this concept that crystals were not being like this was 2015 and so the whole modern wellness thing which is just like like everywhere now was yeah. sort of not everywhere then and I started to realize because there was a certain type of crystal I wanted to buy I wanted to buy a blue celestite and I was like where can I buy that and I thought you know and I started to google online and the only thing that would come up was eBay and Etsy and I was like yeah those are not beautiful websites I don't know if they're trustworthy hmm. how is there not a crystal website which is modern and beautiful and friendly and accessible and trustworthy like how does this not exist and I was like oh my god I have it this is a new thing so clearly then like not doing creativity for money did not last very long for me <laughs> because I really was like <laughs> you jump to the next I have a business idea yeah <laughs> totally but here's the thing like it is almost five years later and I still don't actually have a website up even though I've had great success with Goldilocks which is the name of the business which is basically a brand that I started because again I can tell within myself I still have that fight mm. I started Goldilocks to be this like pure creativity thing mm. and it immediately started to get again attention and success and and money and I and I need money but I also want to keep a pure creative channel and so yeah. for me that's been a big big struggle and probably why I have not like just fully like launched it as a complete business but basically super quickly what happened <clears throat> excuse me is that I started an Instagram and I really introduced the the look of like crystals presented in a clean modern bright and happy way that had that was not on there which is hard to believe because now it's like everywhere the only crystal photos on social media were very hippie or very witchy very hmm. goth yeah. and so I was like 
so I, so I just started to do this. It really took off and a lot of exciting things happened all at once. Well, not all at once, but within the first year, basically I had, you know, my dream was to one day be in anthropology and anthropology was my first retailer. I didn't even have like a website, but they reached out to do an exclusive collection so we did an exclusive collection with them. I did it with Nordstrom. Nordstrom's first co-branded crystal product I had with them. I had it with this company called Herbivore Botanicals. There was just really exciting things. And then I got a book deal. And then I had an international book deal. And that came out. And again, like, I know it just sounds like magical and easy. But I was very, very, very clear that of this very specific, basically, vibration that mm. I felt like I was holding and putting out there and there wasn't that wasn't happening so my book was the first like modern looking crystal book that ever was published it's beautiful with like a hardcover and kind of artistic photography and and all the crystal books before that were very much more like reference or Mm. very again sort of hippie and I say that not I love hippies I live in the (laughs) hippie capital of America (laughs) yes but it's just you know like that is a uh, yeah I just my thing was always for it to be very accessible and so you know for some I I describe crystals as the gateway drug to the new age totally that if someone you know like yeah that that someone might like not feel comfortable or know anything but they might go to urban outfitters and they might pick up a crystal you know an amethyst cluster and it might be their very first sort of magic tool Mm. and so that is my those people are my passion and my kind of my place so so yeah so now I have two books out my book went on <laughs> my book went on to become uh, one of the best-selling crystal books really ever it's, it's wow yeah and it's in a bunch of languages and I wrote another one and then here we are what a cool story especially to hear how the idea was birthed when you gave yourself that time to just play yeah. and to not have any constraints and it's interesting to hear you also he- say how money and creativity has been so linked for you for so long because I find that as soon as like needing to make money from your art and from your creativity can be a huge block for people because it had you put that pressure on yourself Mm -hmm. and then suddenly like originality and you know ideas just go out the window or it can really give you that deadline and that push to make something happen and you're not like dilly-dallying in this like fantasy flow forever totally it's a double-edged sword it's like a sword can bring clarity right it can make a clean cut it can also kill Mm. so that's sort of that double-edged sword thing so have you found now like a better balance with that or Mm. does it kind of still show up in your everyday life and especially as you're launching kind of Goldie Rocks 2.0, I feel <laughs> yeah, like. Totally. That's a good way to put it. Well, you know, what has been very interesting is COVID hit. And so ever since I started Goldie Rocks, I always thought, you know, if I could just take a year off singing mm. and totally be like, have my creativity be focused on Goldie Rocks and also not, not, not in the singing thing, which for me is complex, much more complex emotionally. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'm, will I ever allow myself to do that? And then, then COVID hit, and I got yeah. it naturally. So it's actually been a really interesting gift, definitely of time and also of need, because the truth is the arts are in a tough place. Who knows yeah. when they're coming back, how they're coming back. If I'm going to be, you know, could I support myself as a singer again? I don't know. And so, so yeah, so that's, so it's just a very interesting time of having like, but again, one of the tricky things is, is there's like a lot of free freedom because I have plenty of times I'm not performing. So then it's like, how do I put the constraints on to make yeah. sure that things actually happen and I don't like swim in ideas forever? Yeah, that's been tough too, even for me, like at the beginning of COVID, it's like, right, you've dreamed of time to do, to work on your art forever. And then suddenly you have all this time and it's like, you can't get anything done. Totally. And also recognizing that we were in a we are in a unique situation so you shouldn't be expected to produce and create like the world the capitalistic society wants us to believe and maybe you allow yourself to take more time and like sitting in it but yeah maybe for you running with something yeah I think I know what you mean I mean the <clears throat> the focus on creating for an external reason right for me like I do find that the one thing I do do in my life that 
is creative not for an external reason and not for money is decorating oh <laughs> because you know I love to decorate at my house and I just love I love interior design but I have no desire to do it for money which has always surprised me because oh. like I said I'm always going for the for the like how can this help support me but for some reason that has been like my private creative joy and you've always been so visual which mm-hmm. I didn't realize that that was your creative outlet where it's like it's not tied to any productivity or totally monetary success or anything like that it's just for you and so you make your spaces really beautiful you make your spaces really intentional and we're sitting in your beautiful (laughs) intentional space right now which I wish you could all be here because it is gorgeous and she did it all herself which is crazy but (laughs) I want to talk about your connection to spirituality which is something we talk a lot about on the podcast and something I'm really interested in about the intersection of how creativity and spirituality meet and I mean, you're, you have this business selling crystals, which is so totally blown up in this like modern spiritual movement mm. in today's like new age, modern wellness type thing. And so I guess I just want to hear from you, like what is your connection to spirit and how does that connect or relate to your creativity? And then with the crystals too, like how does that all intersect? Mm-mm-mm. I think, you know, I'm on a like a journey like every human I'm just kind of at my point with with understanding and feeling my connection with different things but I I would say sort of broadly for me there's something creativity and spirituality are are in a way one and the same Mm. that that primal essence that primal energy is the creative energy Mm. and so I think in my life because I have lived a life where I have kept following the creative muse and or kept following not even the creative muse just what does that even mean kept following making space and making myself available for creativity Mm -hmm. you know so that meant in a lot of ways like going to school for music even though could have gone to school for something more quote-unquote practical right becoming a professional musician doing all of that even though there was the loneliness and the the all the the vulnerability and the not making as much money as you know I could have doing something else again and again what is money money is just like comfort (laughs) and like safety and security so when I say that I'm not obviously money obsessed or else I would have maybe gone into another field but it's about (laughs) providing for like that base level of comfort which I don't believe that comfort and creativity are mutually exclusive Mm. you know like I love Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this a lot trying to to um, get rid of the myth of the starving artist, right? Yeah. That you have to be this like tortured, starving artist to, to count. I, I agree with her that that is a messed up concept. But, you know, I there's been a lot of paths I've chosen to take in my life, which are have left a lot of room for creativity, which for mm. me is my spirituality in a lot of ways. So again, I mean, I don't have children. Um, I don't even have a dog. <laughs> and I have spent so much time apart from my beloved husband because he's also a creative, he's a musician, and we both, you know, allow each other the space and the time to to, to really, creativity is at the forefront of our life and mm. how we live our life and what we, how we allow each other to live our lives. So that, I don't know if that totally answers your question. So I, I had another question come up, that, which I want to ask you before I forget, but do you believe that if you do what you love and follow your heart, that success will naturally follow? Because I feel like you hear that a lot because I think people, because it's interesting to hear from someone who like has had a creative career their entire life. And it's interesting to think about artists as professionals, but then just creativity in like the everyday average person's life. And how does that show up in their life? And my work, I want it to be centered more around people, like everyday people who maybe did not follow creative career because I feel like there are so many things that just get tangled up when your job is related to your creativity and and does that kill your creativity like you were talking about with the double-edged sword. So I just have a lot of thoughts about that. But yeah, do you hold that belief that, you know, if you just follow your heart and follow what you love, your success will follow? Hmm... What do you mean by success? Right. I guess as soon as I was saying that, I was like, well, maybe it just depends on your version of success. But I guess I hear, I don't know if you've heard this, but I feel like 
there's this belief it's like if if you follow what you love and follow your heart then you're going to naturally be on your path and you're going to naturally find your purpose and if we believe that the universe is abundant and you know you are meant to do what you came here to do and so if you follow that like intuition you follow that voice that that will then lead you to the life you're meant to be living so i guess that's what i would say as your success so maybe that doesn't mean I guess in Western society, we want it to mean, oh, that means you... You're rich and famous you're and rich everything. And, but what is... Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, exactly. So, what does that actually mean? Do, do we have this... I think what we have this concept of is, like, everything will work out. So, that means what? Like, life is always super easy and super perfect. Right. And you have everything you could ever imagine. You're rich, famous, powerful, hard. successful. Yeah. And like, yeah. And, but, like, even those words, like, what is that a, what is that a stand-in for? Like, because mm. nobody says, like, I want to be rich, but I'm going to be unhappy. Like, <laughs> right. like, so I think, like, the word rich or famous or successful, I think that's, I think that's another word for happy. Yeah. Or content. And I think, and I'm still learning. I am still on the path of learning. But, like, that idea that life is just about being happy or life is just about being, like, nothing bad, nothing ever disturbing your perfect bubble, that is actually not this this experience Mm -hmm. and that's not what we're here for so I you know I I did I want to say one thing when you're talking about professional versus um, amateur is technically a word right so amateur is the word for someone who does something not as their profession but I don't know if you know the the word amateur actually from the latin means someone who does it for love amare which is love so so I always, I've had so many people come up to me through my life and be like, I'm a singer. I love to sing. Oh, but I'm an amateur. I'm an amateur. And, you know, like they're putting themselves down. And I'm like, that means you do it for love. There yeah. is nothing more beautiful mm. than doing something for love. And in our Western world of, again, like uh, making everything need to be a job, we have this idea that like, it's really only valid to spend your time on things that are your profession, right? Mm. Hobbies is sort of like a demeaning word. Like, that's your hobby. Yeah. That's your passion is a better word that we use nowadays. But, you know, it still is like, oh, that's just like your side thing. And it's like... And maybe you don't take it as seriously totally. because you're not making money from totally. it. Totally. It Making money at your creativity is complicated. Like I said, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And I had, I think, the gift of of experiencing what that means really, really early on. And I do want to just say that I'm so grateful because I think what gets really complicated is if you are if you have a dream of being a performer, especially, and your dreams never quote-unquote come true, right? And then you stop because life circumstances make you stop. Or, you know, you just realize maybe that dream wasn't strong enough. There's always this, like, thing which can so easily curdle that feeling of, like, it didn't work out or I didn't mm. make it. And that turns into bitterness so easily. And yeah. that's why I'm sure a lot of you, if you've ever like, you know, that's why some, you know, people who run, <laughs> run competitions or who are mentors or teachers, like there is this sort of curdled creative love, which can yeah. be very present in the performing arts. And that bitterness. saying that's like, oh, well, if you can't make it, you teach. I always heard that in school, yes. like, well, if you aren't successful, if you don't make it in this career, then that's why you teach, right. which is so messed up. Which it's is very a, demeaning to yeah. teaching. Teaching is a noble art. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, the trick for everyone, so the trick for professionals is not to ever be demeaning of those of amateurs, to remember those mm. are people who are doing it for love. Mm. And the, the point for amateurs is to remember that a creative professional is swimming in a very complicated pool where their creative self, their worth, all that is also tied up with their way of supporting themselves, mm. their literal survival. And that is a hard balance yeah. to hold. So for everyone to have more compassion. Yeah, I love that. And I wish that is more of what they taught like in my program because it was so this thing of like, well, yeah, if you want to be an artist, great, go ahead and try. But you know, if you're not good enough, then, and if you fail, then you're going to have to like switch careers and change careers. And I think that's why you see so many people. Like I remember when I was 18, I went and worked in New York City at 11 Madison Park, which is this high-end restaurant. And I was 18 and everyone else there was like in their thirties. And 
I was like, yeah, I want to be an actor. I'm going to school for acting. And they were all like, oh, yeah, we all wanted to be an actor, too. Like, oh, yeah, we remember when we were, like, 20 years old and moved to New York City and wanted to be an actor. And now, 10 years later, like, like they had already given up on their dreams. And I thought that was so sad because I was like, well, I don't want to be like them. But I, I think that maybe if, if we change the narrative of, like, A, you don't have to give up on your dreams. Like, just because you needed to make money and because your professional artistry wasn't providing for you, that doesn't mean that you're not an actor. That doesn't mean that you can't still do what you love. Right. Are there other ways to find that? And it feels like people shut off that side of themselves because they feel like they didn't make it or they feel like they failed in some way if they had to stop pursuing it professionally. But yeah, changing that narrative of like, can we, the amateur, just like the idea of you're doing it for love is so... It's like I want to keep more of that spirit totally, in my life. Then, totally. yeah, totally. And yeah, again, with that, with that spirit of like, if one chooses to keep creativity in their life as an amateur, like I keep saying, like for instance, that's a great example. An older, quote unquote, jaded actor yeah. for whom it quote unquote didn't work out. They are, they are dealing with that. You know, it, that is a tricky. That is a tricky time, and I think. That's why, you know, a lot of times someone in their 30s and 40s who really wanted to be a performer, their 30s, 30s probably especially, like really tricky time mm. because, you know, when you're fresh out of school or you're in your 20s, early 20s, mid 20s, whatever, you're still like, you're still going to be great. You're still going to be famous. Your star is going to come. You get to your 30s and I can't speak for 40s yet, but from what I know from watching Friends, you sort of settle into like, oh, this is, this is my life. Yeah. Like I'm not actually this is my life. Like, if you haven't gotten rich and famous, like, you're maybe not going to become rich and famous, at least not in what you thought you were or not in the, the way you thought you were. You're not going to be the hot ingenue on Broadway anymore, right? right? The hot young ingenue. You can be in hot old, <laughs> non-ingenue. But, I, I, but again, to have a lot of compassion because I do think that it's a really tricky thing to realize how hard it is to make a living as an artist, yeah. especially in the United States where there's not a lot of government support for the arts. It's just really, it's a, it's a, it's a non-normal life to <laughs> support yourself as a performing artist in the U.S. And again, something which I think, I w- you know, part of me wants to be like, schools could be a, do a better job of teaching this. The truth is, is like when you're 18, you're not like, you're just, there's only so much you can comprehend. Totally. So you know, if I said, okay, well, if you're saying you want to be a successful soloist or a successful star or whatever, does that also mean then that maybe you don't want to have kids? Maybe you don't mm-hmm. ever want to, you know, live in a, a place bigger than a shoebox. Or maybe you not only want to see your family, you know, like once a year. Or maybe you never have a dog. Or maybe you don't even have plants. You know, like maybe you don't have a community because you're always traveling. Like all mm-hmm. those concepts are are just concepts when you're young and you don't even know what you want maybe when you're 18 you think I love living out of a suitcase I don't even like being in a relationship like I definitely don't want kids or a dog (laughs) and then you get then you're 10 years older and you're like wait a minute I've changed yeah so and then how to balance all that out is we're all just we're all just here balancing on this big ball and and figuring it out as we go figuring it out yeah. 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 I'm really glad that you're speaking to this because I think also it's easy to look at you and your career and, and look at other professional artists and be like, well, they're the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. They're so lucky. Like, they are they are doing what they love. And like, yeah, and that idea of like when you're young and you have all these dreams of how your life is going to look like, it's like they say adulting is hard and it is because like <laughs> shit gets really real. So you kind of have to make those decisions of like, what am I willing to sacrifice? And do I need to sacrifice that? Can I still do what I love to do without having to sacrifice all these other things that will help me feel grounded as a human? Yeah, totally. And sacrifice, the word sacrifice, I wish I knew more about the origin of that word, but like sacrifice has such a like sad connotation. But the truth is, it's like life is a series of choices. Mm. That's what it is. Every moment of the day, you're just making choices. You're making choices. So, you know, if you're choosing one thing, it means you're not choosing another. And, and like you're saying, like, as you just continue going through life, it's just a series of choices. And I mean, the cool thing is, and this is one of the things I love about creativity, it, it, you know, reminds you that there's a never-ending amount of choices but yes and no I mean you know like there are some things that because of I don't know I mean 
I mean, yes and no. Like, for instance, you know, at my time of life, like, the decision whether or not to have kids. Like, at some point, your body just, you can't have kids anymore, right? right? Like, so that is a choice that life makes for you. So how to work within those frameworks. And again, you know, when you're young, it's just everything's, everything's an unknown. And maybe it's like some things get known. The trick is just how to keep staying open, how to keep staying, uh, I don't know, um, excited. Yeah. (laughs) What kind of practices do you have either when you are performing and you need to keep your vocal health in shape and when you're not performing kind of for your whole spiritual mind body soul what kind of practices do you do to help ground and Hmm. help keep your whole body in artistic spiritual shape yeah so something that really helped me when I perform dealing with stage fright and all of that kind of that realm there's a common thing that's taught is that if you're if you're nervous, look at the audience and imagine them naked, right? <laughs> yeah. So I learned that, and it never felt right. And a few years ago, I realized because there's this element that you're demeaning them, mm. right? And you're so if you again, what does that come from? Your fear, like you're so it is so vulnerable to stand on a stage mm. in any capacity. You know that's why public speaking is like the number one fear. Mm. I mean singing. Acting can be a little different because you're speaking someone else's lines. Yeah, you're a character. You yeah, exactly, character. exactly. But it's like, it is so vulnerable. When I was a pianist, I mean, or a flutist, like, hiding behind an instrument. Well, I don't want to say hiding, but there is an instrument there. It's like yeah. your team, but, like, singing, ooh, you're just there. So what I realized is, like, why am I demeaning my audience? So what I started to do instead was just imagine love. Mm-hmm. I imagined... I actually imagine that my like body, my heart chakra, if people know what that is, like you're the middle of your chest, mm. kind of where your heart is. I am at and my voice and my, I imagined I was a rose and that oh. I was like singing roses just into the into the auditorium, into my audience. And I just imagined that I loved them and I imagined that they love me. Oh. And it changed everything. I love that because I've been thinking about what has been helping me, and I definitely didn't feel this way in school when I was performing a lot, but I've realized it later of what, you know, because there's so much fear and vulnerability involved in anything creative that you do because you're like literally putting your heart and soul out there. But I've been thinking about it as a gift and Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. this is a gift that I am giving to you and you are receiving. And like, again, like you were talking about in the audience and like that intimate feedback loop. But yeah, that I love that visual of roses just yeah. raining down on on them because usually the visual is that they're throwing roses at oh, you. Totally. The oh, totally. The stage didn't think at of you. That. Yeah, but you're throwing roses at them, so oh. it's like that energetic exchange. I love that. I didn't actually think of that, but I love that. Yeah, and I think you know Again, if you went to school for the creative arts, for singing or performing or, or any of that, if you're in that world, if you've had experience in that world, you're used to people pointing out the flaws and like what mm. needs to get better, right? Your teachers. And that, that is their role. That's very important. But at some point, you have to make the shift when you're performing to understand, and this has been very hard for me, that not everyone is out there criticizing. Some people are, Mm. of course. Some people come to the show because they're looking for the flaws. Or they just, you know, or they their their thing is picking out flaws. And sure, the critics, yes, that's their job. But everyone else, for some reason, they've stepped out of their normal life. They've taken the time to get there, to make the time to buy the ticket. You know, we're all busy. We're all stressed, pulled in so many different ways. And they are sitting there. They've chosen to be there. They mm. want to be there. And they want you to be wonderful. They mm. want you to, to just, they want you to thrive. They're not waiting for you to mess up. Oh, that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I feel like that reminds me of something they would tell us in acting school too of like, no one knows if you mess up. They're just there to enjoy, you know. Totally. Well, some people do. Some people do. <laughs> I guess so. But, like, most people don't. Most That's people the don't. important The thing. majority. Most people don't. Some of my final questions that I'll ask yeah. you. Is there any book or creative resources? I love sharing creative resources with people, stuff to inspire you. So have you found a book or an article or something you've listened to, something that has inspired you lately? Mm, goodness. I feel like I'm always finding things. And then, yeah, I'm like, what would I recommend? Um, I have gotten a lot of wisdom from the work of Elizabeth Gilbert, as I mentioned before. My queen. Yeah. 
Liz, can't wait to meet you. Yeah, Liz, if you're listening. <laughs> Call me. Yes, I want to be you when I grow up. I think we all do. Oh, God. There we go. I just, I really appreciate how she has sort of done this thing, again, that I sort of feel like was what I am trying to do with Goldilocks. In some ways, actually, this is the first time I'm thinking about this, but, like, take something which is sort of esoteric and removed from regular life. Mm. So in my case, in this example, it's crystals, right? Energy. In Liz's example, it's creativity, which, mm. you know, a lot of people, again, in our Western world put on a shelf. Like, that's for the creative people. That's for the talented people. Mm. That's for the chosen people. And she's like, no, like, everyone can do it. Everyone can do it. And so I really appreciate that. And I appreciate how she doesn't feel like she has to make it so, like, complicated or, like, a lot of barriers. She's just trying to say everyone is welcome at this table. Wow. Wait, that's what I want to do. Well, you're doing it, baby. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. Yeah, and and she talks uh, so eloquently about, like, spiritual concepts Mm -hmm. that don't seem... I think spirituality can scare a lot of people because Mm -hmm. they have these preconceptions of what that means because we've seen, like, oh, what does a a hippie sound Mm -hmm. like or feel Mm -hmm. like? And so they have kind of this barrier to it, but she also opens that up in such a beautiful way and, like, talking about these spiritual ideals too that I really admire yeah yeah and I love that she's so grounded in the real world and also like you were saying like makes these more you know technically more esoteric things much more relatable and not scary totally so I really love that thanks Liz anything else yeah I'm trying to look at my I feel like I'm bad at this part no that's okay Well, you have a lot of books on your bookshelf that I want to steal, (laughs) so maybe I will. But where can people find you and what's coming up that we can get excited for and check you out? (laughs) (laughs) Don't go to my singing website because it hasn't been updated in a long time. But if you, so for Goldilocks, Goldilocks has lived on Instagram. It's at goldilocks.co. And goldyrocks.co is also my website. And right now you can buy my two books on there. I will sign them and personalize them. And you get a crystal set. And you get add on a crystal set. You get free crystal gifts if you order from me. You can also order from Amazon or your favorite local bookstore. Yeah, and your second book came out this year, which we didn't even really talk about. True. But the fact that you wrote a first book and then you had a second book come out, and so, wow, you Thanks. have a lot. Yeah, it's it's my little babies. And, yeah, in the new year, there will be a beautiful Crystal website launching. Let's keep those Woo! canyon walls strong so that it happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. This was so nice. You'll Thanks, love me. I love what you're doing. Thank you for having me on. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Soul Podcast, and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to send it to a friend and tell them what inspired you, or feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at the underscore modern mermaid with your thoughts. And if you would be so kind to rate and review the podcast, I would love to gift you my guided writing meditation that will help you connect deeper to yourself your creativity, and your spirituality. Just take a screenshot of the review and send it my way at the underscore modern mermaid and I will send over the meditation. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul. 